This is Biz. I'm a part-time working mom with two full-blown kids. And I'm Teresa. I have a family business, two young kids, and a toddler. This is a show about life after giving life. Don't listen with your kids, because there will be swears. This is One Bad Mother. This week on One Bad Mother, parenting with migraine headaches. Plus, Biz is out with a sick kid, Jesse is here filling in, and we talk to the lead editor of New York Times Parenting, Jessica Gross. Whoa! That feels really different. I'm a little a little unnerved right now by how different that felt. <laughs> <laughs> we should start a barbershop quartet. I know. I'd, I'm, I'd, I'll do bass and you do soprano. Okay. It wasn't, it didn't give me the same feeling as it normally does when Biz is here, but at the same time, I do think we sounded beautiful. <laughs> I think the reason it, I, I don't mean to speculate here about your feelings, but the reason it made you feel different might be that Biz is very comfortable doing that while I am deeply unsettled by it. <laughs> that makes sense. <laughs> so, hello, everyone. If this is your first time listening to One Bad Mother, this might not be the episode to choose. It's likely to be a bad episode. I'm here. <laughs> or maybe it is. I don't know. So, I, I am Teresa, and this is my wonderful husband, Jesse. Jesse, welcome to the show. Thanks for filling in this week. Hey, it was great. I'm glad uh, that it was too late at night to find anyone else. <laughs> and then, bonus, we have our two oldest kids here at Max Fun Studios with us today. They are both plugged into devices outside the studio right now. Oscar is sitting behind Teresa's shoulder through a plexiglass window, and I can see him with his headphones on staring at a laptop screen at my desk sitting in my chair looking like he is filling in for me right now. That's perfect. <laughs> I love that. And then special shout out to Biz, who is home with Ellis, who is very sick today, and I... Or or so she claims. Yeah. Anyways, Biz, we love you. And uh, hopefully Ellis gets well soon. Jesse, how are you? Okay. We just got back from a week's vacation, which is always really nice slash terrible. Um, mm -hmm. It's always nice to remember when you have three children that vacations are as hard or harder than working. Yep. I find myself returning from vacation, and I do get the post-vacation crash of depression mm -hmm. that I have to re-enter the normal world. But working is easier than taking care of my children, so mm -hmm. there's also that. Yeah, I appreciate that. Yeah, I think somebody we had recently on the show said that it's once you have kids, it's not a va you don't call it a vacation anymore. You call it a trip. Yeah, say so you're taking a trip. <laughs> yeah, I mean the thing about the thing about it is. Like we we decided to get a cabin specifically because we were abandoning hopes of going on vacations that we thought, well, if there's just a place we go, it's not that far away and the kids are familiar with it and it has a washing machine, then it'll be a nice, relaxing change of pace rather than, you know, going to, you know, San Diego and trying to go to the beach or something. Right. And it is a change of pace, but what it is, it's just a different room in which all the people are yelling. Yeah. That's how I experience it. We take it. all the yelling people. Yeah. 
We put them in a car and we take them to another place. Well, they get out of the car, car and they more yell a more. yelling chamber. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, right. They yell all the way in the car. A and... mobile yelling yes. chamber. Yes. <laughs> and our dogs get in on the yelling. Don't I worry. Know. I know. It's so true. Well, we're here. Yeah. We did it. Yep. So there's that. Congratulations to us. Yeah, congratulations to us. We're great. I am excited about our topic today, although it is maybe a little bit of a sad topic, but I am really actually happy to have the opportunity to talk with you about this, Jesse. We are going to Today we are going to talk about parenting when you suffer from a chronic illness. And in this case, it's migraine headaches that we're going to be talking about. Jesse has had migraines basically his entire life since he was about nine years old. Um, And so we're going to talk about what that's like, uh, parenting when you have something like that going on long term. And I'm looking forward to that conversation. Also, we are super excited to have the editor of the New York Times Parenting section on the show later on today, Jessica Gross. And I have to say I'm thrilled that, Jesse, you are here because you are a professional interviewer. And that means that you can do this interview since Biz isn't here, and I won't be um, stuck trying to learn how to interview someone for the first time. Well, the good news is, Teresa, I've had over 35 minutes to prepare. Oh, good. So we should be ready to rock. (laughs) Please take a moment to remember, if you're friends of the hosts of One Bad Mother, you should assume that when we talk about other moms, we're talking about you. If you are married to the host of One Bad Mother, we definitely are talking about you. Nothing we say constitutes professional parenting Biz and Teresa's children are brilliant, lovely, and exceedingly extraordinary. Nothing said on this podcast about them implies otherwise. Okay, Jesse, let's get into this week's topic and talk about parenting with migraines. Jesse. That's me. Some listeners may know you from other shows that you have on the Max Fun Network, and they may even know you well enough by now to know that you are a long-term chronic migraine sufferer. But for anyone listening who is not familiar with you and your story, can you tell us briefly how you came to be a migraine sufferer? Yeah, I mean, genetics is how I came to it, apparently. But as a young kid, I had some symptoms that actually turn out to probably be precursors to migraine or at least comorbid with migraine. So I I had really severe colic as a kid, and I also had really, really severe body pains. My mom used to call them stumping, uh, but my mom has a passion for making up words for things (laughs) and then pretending like everyone around her knows what they mean. But really, like, I I remember very vividly as as a young kid having muscle cramps or something like that that were so bad that I would be reduced to tears on the floor. When I was about 10, I started getting headaches. And, you know, it didn't take that long for them to be identified as as migraine headaches. And they were and are pretty debilitating. I, I only realized it maybe 10 years ago, but I comfortably meet any reasonable standard of disability. Like, I I looked up some standards of disability. I was like, oh, yeah, I got that covered. Easy. Easy peasy lemon squeezy. So for me, you know, migraines take a variety of forms in different people. There are people who have migraines without pain. For me, pain is the defining 
part of migraines. So while some people get auras, uh, visual symptoms, some people get other neurological symptoms like an inability to make sentences. You know, there was a famous viral clip of a newscaster who started spouting word salad like halfway through uh, a headline and that person was suffering from a migraine. For me, the defining characteristic is pain and it's very difficult to explain the (laughs) depth and intensity of the pain. I mean, you've seen it firsthand. Yeah. When it is at its worst, there is very little I can do other than cry. I think about suicide, (laughs) although I think it's so debilitating that I can't get to the point of making a plan or whatever. Right. (laughs) Whatever the next step is. Yeah. And so the the effects on my life were, you know, over my life uh, as a... Middle schooler, I missed something like 25% of my school days, and I didn't graduate from middle school in substantial part because of that reason. And in those days, there really there were only a few treatments for migraine, and they were ancient. They were from the 40s and 50s or whatever. And they were not particularly effective for me. They were better than nothing, but not particularly effective. And uh, luckily, this class of medication called triptans was invented in the 90s and approved in the late 90s in the United States, used extensively in the late 90s in the United States. And that was a pretty substantial transformation in my life because they do generally make the pain go away. They have really severe side effects for me. They make me very tired and make everything seem really hard. Like both sleepy and just logy and slow thinking. But I just kind of learned to do my life while experiencing those side effects. And, you know, I mean, obviously, I started Max Fund and <laughs> host some podcasts, and I have a reasonably good marriage <laughs> with a nice lady <laughs> who you might know. Yeah, I mean, it is never, it's never far from my mind. It is like been a constant in my life, like absolutely nothing else in my entire life. I want to talk a little bit about like the unseen nature of this problem, because I think even I, who I'm married to you and we have our kids together and we've been together since we were 17. Like, I feel like I am the most likely person to be sensitive to what is going on with you. Like, I'm familiar with you and your situation probably more than anyone else at this point. And even I sometimes forget that you might not be feeling well. And even I have the capacity at times to underestimate how bad you might be feeling. There's also times where I can resent your migraines, but that's kind of a different thing. I more want to talk, maybe we'll have time for that, but I more want to talk about the other day we were like in the house together and you were looking at something on your computer and you showed me this like migraine or chronic pain, uh, pain scale. Yeah, it was. So in the doctor's office, anybody who's ever been to the Anybody who's ever been to the emergency room with a pain-related thing or anybody who's ever been to like a physical therapist or whatever knows this poster that's on the wall of the doctor's office that's the pain scale 
from a sad, grumpy cartoon face to a happy, cheery, green cartoon face. And there was, I'm not a meme, I'm not a meme-man, <laughs> but uh, I joined this Facebook group for migraine sufferers and somebody posted this meme and I actually shared it on Facebook. I think it may have been the first time I had ever shared a meme on Facebook. Mm-hmm. And instead of the zero to 10, I think it went to 14 or 16. Yeah. And it was kind of like an attempt to explain how different pain is for people who suffer from chronic pain conditions. Like, because pain is fundamentally relative, Mm -hmm. it is so hard to explain your pain to people. And so, and that includes doctors. Like you hear, I hear so many stories because I've talked about my migraine on Judge John Hodgman and Jordan Jesse Go, from people who, when they are in the midst of, you know, unspeakable pain, have had to find the internal resources to explain that pain to disbelieving people, including doctors um, and other medical professions. One thing that you learn really early when you have this kind of condition is that it's so much work to explain it to others who, particularly when you're young and you have these formative experiences, likely don't believe you, or at least often don't believe you, that you just you just hold on to it. You know, in school, when you miss days, I remember how angry I was that I had to do the homework from those days in addition to the days when I was there. Because I was like, the reason I wasn't at school was because I couldn't work. Um, and so you realize that like you have to do all the tasks that a person who's not in pain has to do. There's no like accommodation from that pain in net total. It's very difficult for me to remember that sometimes I might have to tell someone I'm in pain or having a hard time or whatever, because there's so little reward to it for me. Like the reward is either useless sympathy or cruel disbelief. So it's really hard for me to even to say out loud, I'm having a headache right now. When I, even with somebody who loves me, who I love, who's a great caretaker like you are. All of that makes sense. And it's also, it's really a problem too, I think, when you're, working in any kind of team with other people. And in this case, it's us being a marriage team and a parenting team. Because on the other hand, like while I can, while I can see how hard it is, and also I can see being kind of resentful of the fact that you even have to say, I have a headache. Like it feels like it's an unfair burden on you on top of what you're going through to have to, you know, get my attention and say like this is happening because it's in a way it's like you're asking you have to ask something of me but at the same time the choice to not say anything is I think so much worse like just for us as a as a married team like I just feel like if I I mean because we we went through like I think many instances where you know, 
I I do try to like tune in like does he have a headache and while I would love to say like oh I can tell when he has a headache I really can't I really can't like you've had them for so long and you're so good at functioning with them that I really can't I just can't like I wish I could so one way or another I'm gonna do my tap dancing <laughs> right exactly I love to tap and it's so good every time yeah. and it always makes you feel better I feel so good when I just let go of myself and feel the feel the tap throw flow through me. <laughs> but you know what I'm saying, right? Because it's like if you're suffering silently, that's not good for us. It makes it impossible for me to care for you. And it makes it like it's like something between us that is not communicated. So it's like something it's something you're carrying all on your own. And I have no idea that it's going on. Like, I just feel like I need to know. So, like, we've had lots of times where, where I've said to you, like, I need you to just tell me. Like, I don't need anything more than just, like, just give me the signal. Like, I just need a signal that that's going on so that I can at least just, especially if it's, like, a weekend day, I think. Those, are, those days are really hard <laughs> as it is. And so if I know going into the day that you kind of have this going on, more than you do on any other day. I don't know. It's like I just want to I just want to know. I want to know because I want to like share that load with you a little bit and also just because it kind of helps me think about like what what each person can manage in a given day. Yeah, I mean I would say like with parenting, the challenge of having a kid with a condition like this and, you know, women suffer much more from chronic pain conditions in general, fibromyalgia and, and others, but migraines in particular, it's like, I don't know, three or four or five to one. The problem is that, like, for my whole life, my solution to having a migraine and having a functional life was essentially to not be dependent on anyone and not have to report to anyone. So the reason that I'm a, you know, successful independent media entrepreneur and not a guy that works at NPR is that I had a really hard time having a challenging job because it's hard for me to be responsible to others because the only way that I can be Product, as productive as a normal human being is, is to just constantly, is to just structure my whole life around the unpredictability of my headaches and the predictable parts, the controlling my headache triggers and so on and so forth. And part of that is conserving the resources that I have like ferociously. You know, when I met you, you know, you are a caretaking person and always have been which is very different from my family situation but for both of us when we had kids that was gone so I think you lost the time that you were spending helping me and I lost the autonomy and buffer that I used to be productive while managing my headaches because 
a baby doesn't respond to your like I can <laughs> I can do research for a bullseye interview from eight to eleven o'clock at night if that's when I'm feeling good, but I can't when the baby wakes up or the baby's sick. You can't be like, okay, I'm going to take care of you from 8 to 11 tonight. (laughs) You know? Yeah. And because I was, I had low capacity. And because having kids also like led directly to a lot of my triggers for headaches. And my headaches got much worse. Yeah. Like the sleep and. Sleep and food and stress. Yeah. Probably my biggest triggers. And all three of them were thrown out of whack even with you taking up more than your fair share it just is a it's a real knot that gets tied up and it's the thing that I am you know was traumatized by probably as a child I think it's fair to say and that I'm terrified of as a parent as an adult is when I'm in a bad place saying I need help and then having to fight for it or justify myself rather than just have help be provided. And so I know that you are (laughs) different from my parents or my teachers or my doctors, all of whom failed in different ways to help me. And that was one of the reasons that I felt comfortable being in love with you (laughs) in a way that I maybe didn't with members of my family. But I also can see that you have almost no buffer, truly no buffer. It's very difficult for me to do something that feels like it's asking you for help. And with the kids, the kids are not capable of understanding or helping. Yeah. Because they're just not there developmentally. Yeah. And it's too and it's not reasonable to ask that of them. And it's so hard for me to not feel like it is some combination of a waste and a danger to ask you for something. Yeah. Well, I think it's it has gotten really complex in the way we try to handle it because I think you know, like you said I don't have a buffer either. I'm not suffering from a debilitating pain condition but i have my own seasonal allergies i have my seasonal allergies <laughs> um no i just like i i mean i have my own shit everybody right. does so like everybody has a breaking point of some kind so what's challenging is that i mean a lot of this is challenging but but part of it for me is that like with you needing to take that space for yourself if it's just the two of us that's one thing but with the kids then that means then that's just work that you're not able to do for the family like that's just work you're not able to do for the kids there's no other person here except me (laughs) so it's just i mean coco's tried to pitch in our dog not really i wouldn't She's sort of filled in for you. She Sometimes she'll come to the bed and sit next to me. She'll help you out. Yeah. Yeah. And Sissy (laughs) is supportive to me. Yeah. But yeah, and then it's also like, I mean, there are a lot of times where you're taking the time and the space that you physically need for yourself. And I am upset about that because there's a lot of 
stuff that has to happen at home and there's kids that need stuff and sometimes it feels pretty relentless. And there are times where, I mean, you would think I would like get it through my head by now, but there are times where I'm like, wow, really? He's laying down right now? And then I'm like, oh yeah, he probably has a headache. (laughs) Or even if he doesn't have a headache, he probably needs to lay down so that he doesn't get a headache or whatever. And then, you know, I try not to, like, beat myself up about that too much. But um... And one of the things that I have come to understand is how pervasive this experience is. Because I'm lucky that I have a supportive partner who is the primary caregiver for our children and is exceptionally good at it. When I read stories about women whose partners are not the primary caregiver and cannot support them, or I think of my mother who was a single parent, you know, once literally passing out on the sidewalk. Yeah, your mom also had migraines. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I have I have nothing but I have nothing but love and sympathy for those people who are suffering in those ways because I know what that is. So, and we need to leave it there, but just statistically, we know that at least some of you guys listening are dealing with something along these lines. So thank you, Jesse, for coming here and sharing your experience. And also, you guys are doing such a good job. It's so impossible sometimes. And we see you and we see what you're going through. Every One Bad Mother episode is brought to you by all of the members of MaximumFun.org who are OBMs and One Bad Mother listeners, folks who've gone to MaximumFun.org slash donate. This week, also some support coming from Casper. You know, five years ago, Casper revolutionized the mattress industry by making it easier than ever to buy a premium foam mattress. We've all heard about, you know, opening that box and having that mattress spring out. These days, they're building on that legacy with a new line of mattresses that combine the best of both worlds, the hybrid collection by Casper. Their acclaimed foam layers now available with springs, making for an extra comfortable night's sleep. And amazingly, even with springs, these mattresses still come magically in a box that simply arrives at your doorstep. You can get $50 towards select mattresses by visiting casper.com slash badmother and using badmother at checkout. That's casper.com slash badmother and use badmother at checkout. Terms and conditions apply. Hey, you know what it's time for this week's Genius and Fails. This is the part of the show where we share our genius moment of the week, as well as our failures, and feel better about ourselves by hearing yours. You can share some of your own by calling 206-350-9485. That's 206-350-9485. Genius fail time, Jesse. Oh, yeah. Genius me. Wow. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. I saw what you did. Oh, my God. I'm paying attention. Wow. You, Mom, are a genius. Oh, my God. That's fucking genius.
Okay, my genius moment was I had uh, Gracie up at the cabin for a day because I think one of our other kids had a doctor's appointment. So it was just me and Gracie up at the cabin. And in the morning, we watched the movie Gremlins, which she was obsessed with watching. And it is a fun movie. And we went out and went for a long hike and came back. And I thought, I want to watch a movie, but I want to watch a movie that I want to watch. And I don't want to watch a movie that will upset Gracie. And I grabbed off the shelf this movie called The Straight Story, which was directed by David Lynch, best known as the creator of Twin Peaks. And it's a G-rated Disney movie from about 15 or 20 years ago that I had never seen, but I had heard was really great. And it's very slow and very beautiful. And I was so deeply moved by it. And... Gracie stayed interested the whole time, which I was not confident of because it was so slow. And I was like, yes, I showed my daughter an art movie. (laughs) And she liked it. (laughs) At one point, she turned to me and said, Dad, so far, I love this movie. Good job. Yes, I feel like a king. You're a genius. What about you, Teresa? So before we went up to the mountains, Oscar was doing a new camp for a couple of weeks and he it was kind of like a bigger camp and he was having fun and he had a couple of friends there, but I think it was just kind of a lot for him. And there were a couple of days where I was dropping him off and it was just a really rough drop off. Like he just did not want to separate from me. He was like laughing and being silly, but physically would not let me leave. He would not let go of me. Um, And if I would like separate from him and like try to walk out of the camp, he would just chase me down and stay with me. Um, And it was really stressful. And one of the days I actually just like cried after I left because like the counselors had to like hold him and it was awful. And I was like too depleted and tired to like really fix it. I just was like, oh, this, I I don't, like, I don't know what to do about this. But then I had a genius moment, which was that I just realized we needed to talk about it and come up with a plan. So, like, unfortunately, this only happened for the last two days of the camp, but I did it. And what I did was I realized that the first thing they do was, like, a noisy activity, and he really needed his, like, earmuffs, his noise-canceling headphones. So I set him up with those for drop-off. Um, which was great because drop-off's really noisy and chaotic. And then we also talked about a reward system. So if he had two good drop-offs, he was going to earn like a water shooter, you know, thing. And it worked like a charm. It was like the next two days after we had that conversation and set that up, it was just easy, literally just easy. Goodbye, love you, have a great day. And I walked out of the camp. Hi, this is Kristen, and I have a genius that I was kind of years in the making. About two and a half years ago, I started having my twins help making their lunches for preschool. I would do the sandwiches, and they would help with the crackers and raisins and pouches. And then now, two and a half years later, at five and a half, they can make their entire lunch, and they make it every single day for the next day. And the real genius is that I continued this during the summer. So when we get home from the pool or whatever and everyone's tired, instead of having to make lunches for everyone, I just hand them their lunchbox like we're at preschool. And they've made their lunch and they're ready to go and they sit down and eat while I have to tend to my one-year-old. So anyway, thanks for all you're doing. Bye. It's a genuine miracle. You're a genius. You're that is amazing. actual genius. Move over, Albert Einstein. Yeah. 
What did you what did you ever get a kid to make? You're very inspiring to me. Good job. Okay, what about fails, Teresa? All right. All right, Jesse. Fail me. Fail, 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 fail. You suck. Oh, I'm going first. Yeah, okay, so um I took uh, my fi- the five-year-old and the eight-year-old to a WNBA game at the Staples Center in Los Angeles, which, in retrospect, the five-year-old, it was a great idea. I like to attend sporting events. I'd like to trick my children into liking to attend sporting events so that I have a friend to go to sporting events with. It was It was good on the surface. And my kids love to take the subway, which is pretty near our house. And it's easy to get to downtown Los Angeles by subway. So I thought, I will just take the subway to the Staples Center. It'll be great. We won't even have to get in a car. We got downtown, and I realized that not only was it 95 degrees outside, but that the four blocks from the station to the L.A. Live complex, where the Staples Center arena is, was to the side of the L.A. Live complex opposite from the arena. So there were a further five blocks that had to be walked <laughs> to traverse L.A. Live, all of the Guy Fieri restaurants and so forth that constitute L.A. Live had to be crossed after the four blocks. And Gracie was wonderful about it. She did a really great job. Oscar less so. And I basically ended up, he, he just ended up in a confused, blubbering mess of five-year-old before we even got into the arena and the speakers in the arena commenced to yelling at us for two hours. Well, you suck. Yeah, my, that's true. My fail is also about Oscar falling apart. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I guess my genius was too. Sorry, Oscar. So I mentioned last week that earlier this summer I had another fail where I just didn't plan my kids' camp schedules very well. And so I had like weird blocks of time where I had nothing to do but had one kid in the car like on the way to drop someone off. And then I had other days where I had to be two places at the same time. So on one on one such day, I had dropped Curtis off at preschool and Oscar and I had an hour before he had to be at his camp, which was like five minutes away. And I thought to myself, I'm going to be a genius about this today and take him with me to the YMCA so I can get a workout, a quick workout, just like 25 minutes on the treadmill. And he can just like hang out in the childcare room with his tablet and it'll be great. So we did that, but I didn't really map out the time. So the YMCA was actually like 15 minutes away in each direction. You didn't map out, you didn't work travel time into a time estimate? Jesse, <laughs> this isn't the time or the place. My listeners don't I'm know just... about my weird time problems. Okay, I'm being supportive. Okay. And so I had way less time at the YMCA than I counted on. And plus, like, the transitions of getting the kids, like, the kid in and out of the car and, like, set up in childcare. And then we needed to use the restroom. We needed to sign him in. Then we needed to, like, connect to the wireless at the YMCA for him to play the game he wanted to play. Whatever. I ended up, like, basically getting 12 minutes maybe on the treadmill before we needed to go. And then he was so upset at how short the time was there. So he had so little time to play on his tablet that he completely threw a tantrum. And he was screaming in the car the whole way. And I was like, oh, my God, I just need to get back 
to camp. Like, just get him to camp. Once once he gets there, he'll be okay. And I was so stressed out with him screaming at me in the car that I took the wrong turn and I added like five minutes <laughs> to our drive to camp. Hi, Biz and Teresa. This is a fail. Uh, my wife recently went back to work and I have since then been taking Fridays off to spend with our six-month-old and things have been going really well and I've been trying to build in a time to go out each Friday with him, either go to the park or go to the library, something like that. And I always pack a bottle and since this is the second time I've done this fail, I just felt I had to call in. I pack up the bottle, I get the ice pack, I boil some water, put it in my fancy little thermos device to heat up the bottle when I get to the location. I go out, we get there, we're having a great time, he's getting hungry, I go get the bottle, and there's no nipple. Twice now, I've brought everything, gotten us out the door to the location, he starts getting hungry, and I forgot the fucking bottle nipple. It is a fail. Thanks you both. You're doing a great job. Well, it seems like you're doing a terrible job of feeding your child, and yeah. and you're also doing a lot of work yeah. and, and somehow ending up in that situation. You are the greatest mom I've ever known. I love you, I love you. When I have a problem, I call you on the phone. I love you, I love you. One Bad Mother is also supported in part by Michelin. You know, we just took a big road trip, Teresa. Sure did. Up to the cabin and back. I mean, that's we're looking at four, four and a half hours drive each way. And I don't know about you, but uh, I'm a mixed driver at best. <laughs> On my best day, I'm a pretty good driver. I feel like you're a careful driver. Okay. Well, thank you very much. Yeah. I I feel like when my family is in the car, I am always aware of the fact that the safety of the people that I love the most is riding on those tires. When worn, Michelin Premier all-season tires come to a complete stop, while some other worn tires are still traveling over 15 miles per hour. So Michelin builds their tires to perform across every diaper run, pickup, drop-off, and road trip. So next time when you're looking for new tires for the family car, consider Michelin Premier all-season tires. Michelin. Performance every time. Jesse, let's call someone today. Today, we are talking with Jessica Gross, who is the lead editor of the New York Times parenting section. Welcome, Jessica. Jessica, it's great to have you on the show. Tell us who lives in your house. I live in a house with my husband and a three-year-old girl and a six-year-old girl. Do you like them? Sometimes. Yeah, that's the right answer. (laughs) That's exactly the right answer. When you had kids, uh, when you had kids a few years ago, I presume you were already working in journalism. Did it change what you consumed? It didn't really change what I consumed. It changed what I covered a little bit. I mean, I had already, I had always covered what is sort of 
colloquially called women's issues, which I hate, but there's not a better shorthand for it. So I had covered stuff around parental leave and some things that were broadly considered relevant to parents. But then, you know, once it became my life more, it became my subject a little more as well. So what did you think was good about the parenting media landscape offered? And what did you think was less good or missing? So there have always been really amazing essays and personal stories. And not all of them have been in parenting publications. I think, in fact, most of them have not been. You know, I find a lot of my favorite parenting stories are in New York Magazine. The Atlantic has done some great ones. And what I found was missing was really sort of trustworthy, evidence-based answers to my thorniest, scariest 3 a.m. panic goals. Um, I always joke that When I do those 3 a.m. panic Googles, I end up on a usually British message board that's telling me that I can cure my baby's leprosy with essential oils. Um, (laughs) Yeah, as the parent of a transgender child, stay off those British parenting message boards. Bad news, a lot of trouble in there. (laughs) So, um, you know, as over the years and now that it's my main job to do so, we are really trying to keep people away from those totally useless often scary and unsatisfying, you know, Google rabbit holes that just lead you to nothing good. I mean, the parenting section of the New York Times has its own web home and its own kind of non-traditional format. And it feels to me a little bit like in, in shooting to meet that goal, you're trying to work around one of the traditional challenges of newspaper writing, which is when you're on a tight deadline, uh, when you're reporting on a tight deadline, you know, maybe you have time to ask a few experts, but you're producing something ephemeral and you're often grabbing some quotes to support whatever you guessed should be the thesis at the beginning. Mm -hmm. And it seems like you're trying to build something that is a little more trustworthy and a, a little more evergreen, to use a journalist's term. Yeah, that's exactly what we're trying to do. I mean, we really see us as trying to be of service to people in their time of need. And what we're trying to do is create this content that is really sturdy, but that also can be updated if new information comes to light. Because when we started the product, even before it was live, we went through probably about 10 years of parenting content from the times that had been created before. And you would be shocked at how quickly things go out of date because recommendations change, the culture changes. And so we have tried to create a format that is a really nuanced because, you know, I talk about giving parents answers, but there are so few things where one size fits all in terms of an answer that is going to work for every family. And there's lots of answers that are expert approved, that are totally safe to do, that are, you know, really useful, that are different. You know, you're not going to just get one answer to most things except to the question, should you vaccinate your child? Because that's the answer to that is yes. But beyond that, there's just like many different ways to raise a child. And so we wanted to create formats that allowed for that kind of nuance and depth. Because again, just like well, you should do X for your family. It's like, well, you know, X doesn't really work for my family because the structure of my family is different because my child has particular needs that doesn't fit that. So we really tried to create a structure that was flexible enough 
um, to give people those sort of meaty answers that would help. For me, pretty much no matter what is going wrong with my kids, I just pour some whiskey in their ear. And it works for my family. I'm not saying it would work for other people's families. You the right, right kind of funnel, right? We, yeah, exactly. We, ha- we always have whiskey on hand, so that's not a problem. <laughs> what was something that you were worried about that you felt like you weren't getting an actual reasonable answer that fit you for? Um, well, I remember the, the example I often give is, um, before we started this product, I remember trying to find information about how to wean a child because you wanted to, not because, you know, your baby had decided that it was the end of their natural process, which is, you know, one way to do it. But I remember when I was looking for information about how to wean, because I was ready to stop that part of my life. Every site that I got information from, it was, if you must wean, you monster. Like, that was the subtext <laughs> of everything. And so, like, just if, I, if someone had been able to give me really straightforward, scientifically accurate information without the editorializing, because it was, you know, emotional and complicated and any, enough anyway, that I didn't also need that sort of, you know, extra love level of, like, you really shouldn't do this were terrible. So that was one thing where I was like, I feel like we can improve on this. <laughs> What's something that you've learned from reviewing evidence, either as a reporter or as an editor, that you weren't expecting, that, that caught you by surprise? I think the thing that has surprised me the most is how little we know about a lot of things. Um, <laughs> maternal... <laughs> um, one big thing is pregnancy and fertility, we are just really starting to, A, take women and women's health seriously as its own research subject. So there's just like a dearth of research on it to begin with. But then, you know, there's lots of studies that can't be done on pregnant and nursing women for good ethical reasons. So it's just a lot of what is thought of as sort of common knowledge actually turns out to be much more complicated when you dig in and you talk to the experts especially around pregnant pregnant women and nursing women and the medication that they take or don't take. Um, if you talk to even the doctors themselves, we'll, we'll disagree on that. So, you know, I think that there is a lot of room for really nuanced reporting around that. And the same with fertility and, like, not to get too Pollyanna-ish around it, but I find something a little magical about that they don't know all the answers about it. And, there's you know, there's constantly surprises and you know, families are, are finding surprising, you know, good news, sometimes bad news. But I just find that there's that there's still mystery left in that process, I find really fascinating. We know it's a bird, but we don't know what bird exactly. It's a total exactly. presumption that it's a stork. Could exactly. Be, could be, honestly, anything with feathers. Could be a raptor. Uh, not, not a bird raptor, a dinosaur raptor. <laughs> Um, One of the first things that you published on the site was a a piece about the phrase natural birth. Mm -hmm. Um, It seems like the idea of a natural birth has become so freighted on all sides, especially for a phrase that no one can agree on a definition for. Why was it that you started there? Well, it was really important to me to signal that accept you, our reader, for how you are and whatever, you know, choices that you're making 
education that you have done for yourself, whatever has happened to you, you know, if you had a kind of birth that you really weren't happy about, you know, we're here for you. We have information for you. You know, wanting to be careful around our language with that was just meant to show people not only that we were going to be careful about the way that we use language, but also that, you know, whatever your experience was, we had information and support for you. And I think, you know, we will certainly make mistakes in that realm because it's impossible to say, oh, we're never going to say the wrong thing. We're never going to, you know, offend anybody. That's impossible. But I think just we wanted to get off on a foot of saying like, you know, whatever kind of birth you had, or if you did not, you were not the biological parent to your child doesn't mean that your experience is any less important as a parent. And we just wanted to make that really clear. What about dads? I I wonder like, when something is targeted at parents as a dad myself mm-hmm. and and also frankly as a media entrepreneur as someone who has to think about what the markets are for media as an unfortunate part of of doing my work of making stuff i wonder how you can successfully and functionally include dads in a meaningful way in anything that has parenting at the top of it. And it must so, be, it must have been something that you thought a lot about. Yeah, we thought a lot about it. I mean, for one, we try our darndest to make sure that the framing of all of our articles is non-gendered as much as is possible. I mean, certainly things that are about prenatal and postpartum health like are necessarily gendered. But, you know, I think making sure the framing of the headlines, making sure the art choices and the colors we use are not, you know, you know, feminized in any sort of stereotypical way just by not making assumptions about the structure of anyone's family or who we're talking to for most of our pieces can do some of the work. That said, we I'm not naive to think that the majority of our readers won't probably be women for many reasons beyond, you know, the power I have to change society as the you know, editorial lead of a single website. So I think it's also just having as many men writing about parenthood in general as possible and having them write about things that are not just particular to being dads, but are sort of general issues that affect all parents. So that's some of the ways that we're dealing with it. But again, are we sometimes going to err on the side of, I think, speaking more to moms? I'm sure we will, but we are trying our darndest make it as ungendered as we, we can. Have you heard or, or found that dads or other parents who aren't moms have different concerns or interests? <sighs> That's a great question. I think if you have a non-traditional parenting arrangement, there are, especially at the beginning, there's just like legal and logistical concerns that you have that a pair of straight hetero parents who had their children using their biological, their own biological materials don't have to deal with. So certainly, like, those concerns are real, and we're trying to provide, I mean, we have, you know, a sort of straightforward legal guide for LGBTQ parents because there are issues that they have to deal with in terms of adoptive, you know, the if there's a non-biological parent having to adopt their the child and that is just unique. I think in terms of the day-to-day, most of the concerns really are shared. If both parents are really involved in their kids' lives, the concerns seem to be 
pretty uniformly the same. I do think that there, I've heard dads talk about concerns and fear about the way to properly transmit masculinity. I think the way that we think about gender has really evolved a lot in the past decade or two. And I think men who really take the development of their kids really seriously are having a lot of thoughtful and interesting discussions about how to, you know, teach children about how to be men in a way that is positive. So I think that that's one sort of way in which dads are are having a a slightly separate conversation, but I think most of the issues are really shared by everybody. I feel like for me, something that feels dad-specific, or at least uh, it it might just be parent-who-didn't-give-birth-specific, is developing intimacy with kids Mm -hmm. that I feel like my beautiful wife, Teresa, who's sitting in here, uh, (laughs) gets to cheat by <laughs> having having the children automatically develop intimacy with her for that by, was really easy. Thanks for pointing <laughs> out. It was her. so easy. It was like cheating, carrying those children for nine months, giving birth, so laboring, easy. healing, nursing. You're right. It was totally like cheating. That right. whole time, I, I was like, no oh. time at all. none of the time or energy. Yeah. <laughs> More shortcuts, I was yelling to myself. Always with the shortcuts, <laughs> Teresa. But in in all sincerity, you know, like our, our youngest child is two and our, our oldest is eight. And I feel like I am just getting to the point with the eight-year-old that Teresa is at with the two-year-old, which is that, you know, and it, it's probably partly because... Teresa is does more of the caretaking than I do, but that I wish for a kind of closeness physically and emotionally with my kids that mm-hmm. is that takes like work and focus to generate when you're not the parent who did all those incredibly difficult things that a parent who carries a child or feeds a child from their bodies does. And it's 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 scary and hard and lonely for me, a dad, not probably not as scary and hard as lonely as all of many of the difficult things that you're doing, honey. I don't want to finish <laughs> your Make experience your it's here. Okay. <laughs> uh, yeah, and it's uh, it's intense. It's hard. The other specific problem that I've had that I haven't really seen addressed is if you're raising your children in Los Angeles, how do you get them to be Giants fans and not Dodgers fans if you're from San Francisco? Because mm. I feel like that would be a real betrayal of my trust if they were to become <laughs> right. Dodgers fans. If if my children were Yankees fans, I don't know what I would do. Oh, like my God. to be Mets fans. <laughs> oh, I can't even imagine having children who are Yankees. It's like having children who are... Uh, Having children who are thinking about becoming Sith Lords. Now, I want to remind everyone that this is a non-judgmental podcast. I'm judging Yankees fans and... right here, right now. Dodgers fans, I get it. You don't know how evil you are. But if you're a Yankees fan, you're choosing evil. You could just be a Mets fan. You're affirmatively choosing to be evil. Um, no, but I take your point. I do think that there are struggles sometimes that non-bio parents Um, have to go through in terms of developing intimacy. But I will also say that I think that there is a range of emotions that even biological, you know, whoever carried the baby has. You know, some people bond immediately, some people it takes longer, and I think there's a lot of shame around not bonding immediately. So I think, 
you know, there's just such a wealth of experience and all of it is I just, you know, if I have one goal, I should have two goals of this whole project. One is to make clear that having ambivalent feelings about being a parent is completely normal and that everyone feels that way. You can still love your children with all your heart and have complicated and difficult emotional, you know, feelings around parenthood. That's totally normal and okay. And the second thing is that it's not okay to pee when you see So so I want everyone to know that as well. Those are my two things. What was the last (laughs) thing? And it's not okay to... Pee when you sneeze. You shouldn't pee oh, when you good. sneeze. Yes. You should Very see good. a physical therapist. Yeah, you can, you can <laughs> fix that. That can be fixed. Exactly. <laughs> that can be fixed. Not the sneezing, but the peeing. Yeah. Sneezing yeah. is... You don't a... need to pee when you sneeze. Yes. But right. that's, you know, does not have to be a side effect of giving birth to children. When you're trying to build parenting information that is genuinely inclusive, that is a hard job. Because there are mm-hmm. a lot of ways of being in the world, even if you're thinking of your audience as like English language speakers in the United States. There's a mm-hmm. lot of different kinds of English language speakers in the United States. And I know that mm-hmm. as, a, as a lover of the New York Times, I often find that I'll run across a, a trend piece in this, our nation's greatest newspaper, where I'm just like, you just met somebody at preschool and then <laughs> went to a cafe in Park Slope and found two other of those people and then called that a trend. So what steps... Oh, I get so mad about it. Uh, I'm sorry to all your colleagues at the New York Times style section, but I'm mad at all of them. Um, I won't tell them. Okay. okay. But what steps do you take to ensure that you are actually responding to a broad cross-section of concerns, that you're responding to them in, in a way that is inclusive and that you are including the voices of people who might not have, you know, grown up to become reporters for the New York Times? So one way we're doing it is not pretending that in terms of service journalism, that one size fits all. So an example of this is we have, I think, five guides about parental leave. One is for hourly workers. One is for freelance workers. One is for salaried workers. One is for if there's no parental leave policy at your company. So it's just an acceptance that people have all sorts of different work situations and that there are different tools and different laws that protect you if you are in those situations. So that in terms of the service content is what we're trying to do. Um, I think in terms of getting different perspectives, we that is a day in and day out thing you have to concentrate and, on and care about. So it's just looking at the lineup of every week and saying like, hey, whose perspectives are we sharing? Whose perspectives are we not including? Making sure the essays um, in particular are written by a diverse group of people with a diverse group of experiences. And again, it's there's no magic to it. It's just making sure our editorial staff comes from many different backgrounds and making sure our content is just continually reviewed. Because it's not just something you can say one day like, well, this, you know, we we made this diverse. We're done here. Like, it's just ongoing. And we won't always get it right, and we won't always get the balance right, but we are aware, and we are trying our best. So when you're starting a new editorial endeavor with the biggest deal print media property in the United States, maybe, and you're trying to do new things in a new way, how do you decide if you're doing a good job? 
I have no idea. Do you have any thoughts? <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I'm pretty uh, sure I'm supposed to say metrics, but I don't really know what that means, even as the um, owner of this company. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, certainly we look, I have so many different kinds of metrics and so many different tools through which I look at metrics. Yes, that is one thing. Like, yes, we are looking at, at audience and yes, we're looking at, you know, our newsletter subscribers and our traffic and who's you know, who are our most engaged readers. And we even have some sort of special internal name for them that I don't remember right now. Um, so certainly we pay attention to that. But, you know, I think whether we're putting out a great site that we're all really proud of every day is a really pivotal metric that, like, is not reflected through all of those other statistics. And I also pay a lot of attention to what our readers are telling us. I read a lot of their letters. I try to respond to a lot of their letters. I see the comments that they make on social media, and I try to engage with them when it is appropriate. Um, and I think it, it, it has to be holistic. Like, you can't just look at one aspect of that and say, like, oh, well, our traffic was great today, um, you know, success. Because, you know, what does really well is aggregating celebrities' tweets. If we were just a website about aggregating celebrity parenting tweets, we would get a lot of traffic, but I wouldn't feel very good about what we were doing. So I think it's just you have to look at all of those things to determine whether or not you're succeeding at what you set out to do. What's a letter or a note or a, you know, article comment that you got that moved you? We had a whole little package about friendship and... Just hearing, we got a lot of letters about friendships that people had made with other parents and how that had made their lives better. And there was one group of um, grandmothers who had found each other who all walked their children's children. And now they have a grandmother's group that meets all the time. And it was just adorable and it warmed my heart and it made me really happy. Well, Jessica, I'm so grateful for your work, and I'm I'm grateful to you for coming on One Bad Mother. It was really nice to get to talk to you. Oh, thanks so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Thanks, Jessica. Thanks a lot. Take care. All right, you too. Bye. as we crafted the tragic tale of Jar Jar, a Star Wars story. Yeah. Dude, like, he forgives Darth Vader. Lisa <laughs> still love you, Annie. <laughs> you gasped out loud at the shocking twists of Face Off 2. Face is wild. He takes his kid's face. What? <laughs> we're writing an entire screenplay week by week on Story Bricks Season 2, Evan Heist. Hey folks, Freddie Wong here with some exciting news about Story Break, the writer's room podcast where three Hollywood professionals have one hour to spin cinematic gold. We're shaking up our format by turning Heaven Heist, one of our favorite ideas we've ever come up with on the show, into a full screenplay. Heaven Heist is an action comedy about a crew of misfit gangsters robbing the celestial bank of heaven. Think of Coco meets Point Break. Join us as we write this crazy movie scene by scene and get an inside look at the screenwriting process on our podcast, Story Break, every Thursday on MaximumFun.org. 
I'm Mujan Safagari, and I play a bunch of characters on Mission to Zix, an improvised science fiction podcast on Maximum Fun, and this is our incredible sound designer, Shane. Hello. Now, Shane makes it possible for me to play a thousand billion characters in our galaxy. Such as the Bajarian Jane, Ship of the Stars. And the Prepare to eat pancakes. And wait, let's get dusted up, baby. An emissary turned Hey, I just got out of their air. And the horrible life. Ah! Oh, also there are five other cast members, and I'll give them just all a second to say hi. Uh, hello. Yeah, that's enough. Okay, so the season finale of Mission to Six is coming out next week, so it's the perfect time to dive in and catch up with our intrepid crew as they explore the Zix Quadrant. So give us a listen to Mission to Zix on Maximum Fun. Thank you for that, Jesse. Uh, Jessica was fantastic. That was really nice. Yeah. Well, how about this? I so rarely get to hear a mom have a breakdown. Why don't we do that now? This is a rant, I think. I was woken up at like two o'clock in the morning, my four-year-old having just a full-blown tantrum like next to my bed. And when I picked her up and I was trying to take her back to her bed because we're working on not letting her come in our bed, a freaking industrial fan, floor fan, fell on my foot. And it really, really hurts. I managed to get her back to bed, sang her damn lullabies, again but it really hurts and then I woke up and got everyone ready to take them to preschool and camp and then we get to camp and find out that the field trip bus on Fridays leaves at 8 30 even though everything we signed when we signed up for camp said nine o'clock so I've got it's 8 40 and now my seven-year-old is sitting there looking well what am I supposed to do now so uh, instead of going to work on time, I had to take him 30 minutes in the other direction to try to help catch him up with his camp because, you know, it's not fair to him that the school didn't tell us that they started 8.30 on Fridays instead of 9. And now I'm going to be late for work, and I'm just trying really hard not to sit here cry. <sighs> and it's just too much. My house is just a mess. And no one else is going to clean it but me. And I just don't have time to do it. I I don't have time. And I don't even like being in there because it's just a mess. I really hope my foot isn't broken. It really hurts. Thank you. Well, any one of those things would easily be enough to make me cry. I mean, like, and plus the messy house goes without saying, I feel like, because no matter what's going on in my life, I'm always like, and my house is so messy. Like, it's always, it's just always there and it always makes things worse. But sleep interruptions, that's enough to put everything off. And that's just so disorienting. You do all that work to take your kid to get there on time for the field trip. I mean, it's just so... There's so there's absolutely nothing worse than thinking you did it right and finding out you did it wrong. Yeah, and then having to fix it somehow, like oh. half an hour in the wrong direction. You did get there, you're just, okay, fine, I'm 10 minutes late. Can someone else address this? Yeah, that is really way too much. Um, and you're doing such a good job. What's... 
I think what's meaningful to me about this call is how this is just a day and like this is the type of shit that happens every single day. <laughs> like it's just all of this stuff every day. Tomorrow it'll be different stuff. Yeah. Um, and yet we're still getting up every morning, doing all the stuff, doing the best we can at all the stuff, come what may. And then going to bed and waking up the next day and doing it again. And that is remarkable. Jesse? Yes. What did we learn today? We learned that, you know, it the headache thing, it's one of those things, like a lot of things that we touch on on the show um, at various times, which is some things about parenting are universal and then other things are just not. And we sometimes forget that what's going on in somebody's house or inside somebody's head or in somebody's life may not be the same as what we're going through. And it's it can really make a big difference to just keep in mind that everybody's got their own thing going on and just to sort of treat each other with that understanding that I might not know what's going on in your house and just be nice to each other because parenting is hard in general, but there's also other circumstances at play sometimes that can make things even harder. So I am really missing Biz today, but also really grateful for Jesse to be here and to share a little bit with us about what it's like to parent as a migraine sufferer. And we also learned that Jessica Gross is doing a great job, and the New York Times parenting section is a great resource. And we are coming to Boston, September 14th. You can go to OneBadMotherPodcast.com and click on the live show link to get tickets. You want to do that because the tickets are selling out. Yeah, and that really is. I'm not playing. That is a really cool spot. We had a great time there. And I met some uh, One Bad Mothers uh, in the line after the Jordan Jesse Go show. There is a meetup coming up in Doylestown, Pennsylvania. Shout out Doylestown. So come meet some awesome OBPs at Kids Castle in Doylestown on Saturday, September 28th at 10 a.m. You can look for Denise in the OBM shirt and yellow balloons. Yeah, I don't care if you, you don't have to become, you don't have to live in Doylestown. You can come in, come in from Delaware. The event is posted in the Facebook group for One Bad Mother, P-A-D-E, and N-J. Yeah, if you're coming from I don't know from, what any of those if you're coming stand. from New Jersey, if you're coming from New Jersey, come in, hit Doylestown, bring some hoagies. Guys, thanks for sticking with us. You guys are doing such a good job. It's so hard, and we see what you're doing. You guys are amazing, Jesse. You are really doing a good job. Thank you, honey. It means a lot to hear that from you because you are doing such a good job. And we will talk to you guys next week. Biz, we miss you and love you. Ellis, we hope you feel better. Bye. Bye. I got to low down mama blues. I got to low down mama blues. Got to low down mama blues. Low down mama blues. Got to low down mama blues.
got a low down mama blues, you know that right. We'd like to thank Max Bunn, our producer, Hannah Smith, our husbands, Stephen Lawrence and Jesse Thorne, our perfect children who provide us with inspiration to say all these horrible things, and of course, you, our listeners. To find out more about the songs you heard on today's podcast and more about the show, please go to MaximumFun.org slash OneBadMother. For information about live shows, our book, and press, please check out OneBadMotherPodcast.com. One Bad Mother is a member of the Maximum Fun family of podcasts. To support the show, go to MaximumFun.org slash donate. Well, Daddy, baby, bustin' by, not throw down mama blue. Oh, said Daddy, baby, bustin' by, not throw down mama blue. MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.